Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate. All it. right, part two of today's edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined as I am at this time every week as we conclude. We put a bow on the 2021 MLB season. Where let me check my notes here. The Atlanta Braves are your world champions, and they will be, John Taylor, your world champions for at least the next year and a half. Maybe two years? Given that it's Atlanta sports, like, I, I was going to say, given it's Atlanta sports, I, I like, they might just lose the defending aspect of it, like, six months in for no reason. Just, mm. can you blow a title defense? Just, like, the literal, the literal title of title defense? Well, um, you can't, because we won't play for it. I still don't... I, I don't know. Where where are you at? I don't even... We don't have to go down this rabbit hole yet. I mean, it is actually the offseason. You know what? No, we're going to do this. We're going to start right away. Braves are world champs. But do you think we're... I mean, at the very least, do you really believe that we're getting baseball starting on a normal time to start next year? I mean, I would not bet on it. Mm. I don't have any inside information or any information really that would lead me to bet on it not or on it happening or not happening. But my assumption is that even though there's been, or what seems to have been, uh, at least you know we haven't we haven't gotten any news stories or or reports yet about the CBA progress, which I think is a good thing. It's definitely that definitely makes it seem like things are going quietly and at least uh, not as rancorously as usual. So that's a that's a thing to be hopeful for. I think so, it's just I, because it hasn't happened yet. I think we're not there yet. I think once we get closer to December, that's when the stuff starts dropping. The league and the union have been talking almost certainly this entire time throughout the season, checking in with each other. And you're right. Like, it's not really going to ramp up, I think, until explicitly this month and next month as the deadline gets closer and then eventually passes. And I do think we are going to end up in some kind of work stoppage, however briefly. Uh, I, I just don't see... It, it's... It's just so hard for me to see after the way things have played out the last few years, and in particular with where baseball stands and how successful things have been, at least revenue-wise, and everything else. I, I, I just don't, don't know if they're going to forget the bad blood. I just have a well, hard time believing they're going to forget the bad blood, and I think they're going to push for stuff that the owners have no interest in doing. Um and the flip side of that is that the owners are going to push for stuff that the players have no interest in right. doing either. And I, th- I think you're right. There's almost certainly still lingering bad feelings over what has happened in the last few years, in particular with all the, the free agent signing slowdowns. Which I, I don't th- figure to get better this year. No, I mean, I think we'll see. I mean, we already seen uh, one semi-minor move today in Tucker Barnhart going to Detroit. I do, do you like that? Smaller. I think I makes a lot of sense for Detroit. They needed a catcher. He's a really good left-handed bat. Um, Cincinnati, I think, had a bit of an overflow there. I mean, or at least they want to be playing Robert Stevenson full time and Barnhart at about seven or eight million dollars for next season. That that's a lot for a backup catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it definitely makes sense for Detroit. Obviously, they need to do more. But regardless, I, I think those are the kinds of small moves we're probably going to see more than anything else over the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. I think what the CBA negotiations and the possible delayed CBA is definitely going to impact most of anything is the big contracts. Guys like uh, Freddie Freeman, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, if he decides he doesn't want to be in L.A. anymore or if L.A. decides they don't want him anymore. You know, I, those are the guys I think we're going to be waiting a while to find out where they end up, with the exception of any of those guys who decide 
CBA or not, screw it. I am either staying with my team or taking the biggest offer I can get for staying. You know, I don't want to risk it. That'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm, I am just holding out the hope that because things have been quiet and seemingly cordial so far, and we haven't really gotten any nasty labor news in the last few months, that there has been at least a lowering of the temperature enough that progress hmm. can actually be made. I would like to think that is the case. I do not want to bet against the greed of owners in particular. I can imagine that they are going to be pushing very hard for all the various things they always want. So I do think we start the season late because I don't think, I mean, the new, the CBA deadline is sometime around where I believe winter meetings are supposed to take place, which I actually don't know if they are. MLB, it's December 2nd. I think they already canceled the winter meetings, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they have already. I, I know that MLB still had media credentialing open for it for whatever reason, but uh, I doubt they were going to happen anyway. And certainly that's, a, but either way, that's around the time when I believe the current CBA expires. So I think we're going to get a slight slowdown because regardless of, of you know whether or not it's a contentious negotiation or any, any level of negotiation, I don't think they're going to get it done before the deadline reaches. So I think we are going to – everything is going to hit a halt while that gets figured out. I would guess the season probably starts two weeks late. Mm. That would be my just total off the top of my head guess. Yeah. Um, I, I do not think anyone involved wants a delay of longer than a month in the season because – not only at that point are you talking about severely compromising the integrity just of competition, or better said, the competitive integrity of the season when you've just chopped a month off of it completely, mm. but you're also getting closer and closer to starting your season during the summer when you have other sports going on, starting your season closer to, say, the NBA Finals or you know, starting your season during the NFL draft period, which I guess MLB technically already has to deal with anyway, but... I, I, and it's just regardless, it is a bad look for baseball no matter what to push opening day back. And I think it's one thing if it gets pushed back a week or two because of some understandable logistical delays because you do just have to stop everything when the CBA expires. You know, no one can do it. No one can make any moves, basically. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I, I just I can't imagine anyone wants to run the risk after what happened in 2020 of doing that all over again and getting another screwed up shortened season that is just going to make baseball look worse than ever, you know? And then that's kind of the thing. I know owners don't really care about the PR game or about how they look in public because why should they? They have all the money and they're, they're completely insulated from popular opinion. So I, I don't trust them to do what is best for baseball or what is in the best interest of baseball. But I do think that if nothing else, for as much of a money-hungry dolt as he seems to be in a lot of regards, I do think Rob Manfred understands that it is such bad optics and just so bad generally to push the start of your season back because of a labor because of a labor stoppage, and worse to push your back your season back considerably because of a labor stoppage. That is, ev- the specter of 1994 hangs over the game forever, mm. and Manfred knows exactly what that was like because he was there. He was front and center for the 94 stuff. He has been front and center for every major labor dispute and CBA negotiation that the league has undergone in the last 30 years. He knows exactly what will happen to Major League Baseball if we get a 1994 repeat. He, they cannot afford that. For as strong as Major League Baseball is, for as much revenue as they're pulling in, for as good as the players are, and for as much as you know, there are diehard baseball fans out there, they cannot survive that. There are too many other competing options for people's time for a sport that is drawing less and less national attention and is becoming more and more of a regional game. They won't survive that. I don't know if they understand that fully, but I would like to think that because Manfred at least understands and was there, or understands 94 and was there for 94, that for all his 
uh, particularly conservative and reactionary impulses when it comes to, you know, a labor battle, that he understands that that is, you can't have a 94 repeat. You just can't. That That is the one thing that cannot happen. And I would like to think that that would spur them eventually to say, you know what, let's get as good as we can get and we'll just keep kicking this can, we'll keep kicking this can down the road. You know, I, I think there's also probably, maybe there's even an appetite too after, you know, after both the 2020 COVID season and the 2021 post, well, post quote unquote COVID season. And also the reality too, that we're still going to be dealing with COVID next year to some degree or another, you know, this is not over by any stretch, but I, I do think that there is probably, maybe, maybe there is an appetite to push some of the more difficult economic questions a little further away from the most difficult economic time. So, mm. you know, I, I'll be... I don't want to say I'm interested to see it because, frankly, I would rather they just come out tomorrow and say, okay, new CBA is signed, everything can go on as normal. But I'll be interested to see exactly what the tack that the owners and Manfred take is because, you know, if they come out really hardline publicly from the start, that's obviously going to be a really bad sign because I, I think you and I are in agreement on this. The, the players are not going to back down. I, I, I don't see, especially after the feeling I think they have, that they have taken nothing but loss after loss and yes. negotiations over the last six or seven years, I don't think, and I one, I don't think that they're they're willing to do that again. And two, I think they're also seeing that in this environment that definitely seems to be a little more favorable to both labor and to union-led strikes, I think that they are willing to gamble that they can make a case for walking away from it, essentially. That they're, you know, they're going to take their own hard line, too. So to a certain degree, it, it just really depends on how hard a line the owners and Rob Manfred want to take, knowing, again, that 1994 and it, all, its, all its miserable after effects are you know, just waiting to strike once more. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, if there's one thing that I'm, I'm confident of, it's the leadership of Rob Manfred. Um, John, based on what you saw in this World Series, are two things true here. The Braves were the better team than the Astros in this series. And also, is this? Did it feel like this was it for Houston in in this era, and that we're about to see them slide back down a little bit, and that this was this was the last time we'll see them in the World Series for for a long time? First question. I mean, I don't think a seven game series answers anything other than who won more games in the seven game series. You know, you play these, you have these two teams play the seven game series again a week from now. Maybe Houston wins in six games. You know, maybe Atlanta wins in four. Maybe Houston wins in three. In, well, not three, but like, you get what I'm saying. I will hang up on you. Okay. I do think, <laughs> I do think that, and look, at least I didn't make a 3-1 joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't because they, they won, actually. And they won in Houston they, to right all those wrongs. They did it for, they did it for uh, the Thrashers. They did it for the Atlanta Flames, the Atlanta Black I was, Knights. I was going to say, which 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 Braves are we remembering in, in the they did it for? You know? Fred McGriff. Mark Lemke. Mark Lemke, for sure. Who's actually still involved in the, the Braves broadcast in some regard, I, I think. Um, Keith Lockhart. Keith Lockhart was definitely... They, they did it for Kyle Lichtenberg. Mm-hmm. My guy, Raphael Fercal. Um, a, a lot of throwbacks there. Ronnie yeah. Belliard, that's what they did it for. Was, was Ronnie Belliard ever on the Braves? I was going to say, I don't think, right I don't think Belly was a was a Brave. Marcus Giles. Marcus uh, Giles, that's a good one. Galarraga. Big cat. Everyone loved the big cat. Vinny Castilla. Uh, Chris Johnson. Remember when Chris was... Johnson was the next Chipper Jones? That, that was just yeah. going to be the thing? Yeah, that, that, I do remember Chris Jones or Chris Johnson. He was kind of like y'all's a Shea Hillenbrand for a little bit there. That is, oh man. Ours, 
Shay Hildenbrandt. That is quite a comparison. Um, but anyway, but yeah, back to what you were saying where you were dismissing the Braves winning the series. I do think that <laughs> of, the, of the two teams that's currently constructed, or at least the two rosters that were put in front of us for the for the World Series, I do think the Braves had the better roster overall. Mm-hmm. Which is preposterous. Which is, yeah, it's insane to think about, but that's really just what happens when you get mm-hmm. everyone clicking at the same time, and you also just have a lot of really good players. And this is something I hadn't really thought about all that much, and I assume we're going to get into it as to what Atlanta's future looks like, but given that Acuna is coming back next year, given that... Uh, I mean, I don't know what you can really expect from Mike Soroka, but you're getting Acuna back next year. I've written off Mike Soroka. I think we just need to go ahead and acknowledge that he's probably injury prone. Like, this is just probably, at this point... Even beyond that, like, that injury he suffered, like a torn Achilles and then to re-tear it, that's really, really serious. Exactly. I I don't know that there's any really... I don't know if you can make any prognosis going forward, because I don't really know how many of any players have ever come back from something like that. But... Regardless, Acuna is coming back, assuming, and I know this we've, we've had our debate on this, and I assume this will be a much bigger debate maybe mm. later, and also going forward, if you bring Freddie Freeman back too, mm. you can pretty easily make a case, especially given that the sheer amount of free agent talent Los Angeles is losing, and the fact that the Padres seem to be not quite there just yet, and that the NL Central is a raging dumpster fire, Atlanta is probably the best team in the National League on paper going into next season. Like, this was a legitimately good team that I think a lot of people, myself included, overlooked pretty poorly, obviously, because they, you know, they barely had a winning record. Not barely, but they they were the, they had the fewest wins of any team in the postseason. They were below 500 as late as some point in mid-August, I believe it is. You know, they, they were getting by on NLCS MVP Eddie Rosario. You know, those aren't the kinds of things that good teams normally do. But, you know, when you strip all that aside, you do see a roster that's good, like, Really, what were the problem areas for Atlanta in this series, aside from starting pitching depth, which everyone had a problem with? I mean, Eddie Rosario fell off a cliff. The magic went away in this one. Um, so did Jordan Alvarez. And that's the kind of thing yeah. that happens in small in small. Oh, can we, hold on. We need to talk about this. Series. We haven't talked about it on this podcast. Mr. Alvarez. Um, we got to talk about the arm. We got to talk about his oh, arm. Oh, yeah, Jordan. I, 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 I'm not going to blame him for having a bad arm because mm-hmm. he very clearly is just not... He's not an outfielder. He's not supposed to be out there... He probably never works on his throwing arm, which is something you have to work on to get better at, or even just to keep it like functional. But it's just so mind blowing. Too much. No, but that's the thing. It is crazy. He is a huge refrigerator. Man. <laughs> he has an arm like a like a what's something terribly weak. He has an arm like an oscillating fan. It just doesn't mm, do anything. I was going to say me in middle school. Yeah, that's fine too. But I didn't have to slag yourself like that. No, I mean, I, hey, John Taylor, I don't. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, that 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 is fair. He's got the arm of like a junior high player, mm-hmm. which is bizarre for someone who is three times the size of a junior high player. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, at least when it comes to Atlanta, it's like, yeah, you look at that roster now, stripped of whatever uh, presumptions and assumptions and biases you had going into the postseason. I certainly have plenty of them when it came to Atlanta because, well, Barbs. <laughs> that was a really good roster. And with not with what it turns out to be not a whole lot of weak points, right? And yeah, we're 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 having a totally different conversation if Rosario and Jorge Soler and well, in particular those two don't have each of them the two best series of their individual lives at precisely the right moment. But hey, that that you know you don't just get to hand wave that away because no one saw it coming. So yeah, I think the Braves of the 2021 World Series were a better team than the than the Astros we saw in the 2021 World Series. And I guess then leading into your second question about is this the end of the Astros, 
I mean, that roster is still really, really good. I mean, granted, they are almost certainly going to lose Carlos Correa. It sounds like they are not bringing him back. And Houston's not really a team that, that seems interested in bringing back its major free agent talent. Obviously, they like Eric Colwalk. They are almost certainly not going to bring Justin Verlander back unless they can get him presumably back on a cheap one-year deal of some kind. Uh, no, he's going to go have back. a Cy Young year in Tampa Bay next year. I, I mean, I'm already pushing the Carlos Correa and Justin Verlander on the 2022 Tigers Ooh. Uh, idea, which I, I, I'm going to go... That preview preview for this offseason, I'm going to go hard on the Tigers need to go absolutely buck-wild spending because they are a legitimate contender if they make the right moves. But that's I mean, a, that's Dan Patrick suggested today that um, sources were telling him that Carlos Correa is very much like priority one uh, for the Tigers. I would not be surprised. They don't have, a, and this is a, obviously a totally different conversation, but they don't have good, they don't have really have shortstop depth in that system. Um, you know, they have no real long-term commitments on the books right now mm-hmm. uh, aside from what's left of Mickey Carrera's contract however much money and years is to go on that one I just think I think just one or two at this point and none of the guys that they're going to need to start paying either any of the pitchers which jury is still out obviously on on how long on you know whether those guys are going to be worth anything or not worth anything but whether those guys are going to be what the Tigers thought they were going to be and of course uh, the two top prospects they have Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green are still in the minors and are maybe one or both of them gets up mm-hmm. next season but either way th- those kinds of big financial decisions are pretty far down the road for, for detroit they can afford to spend mm-hmm. now if they want to so but I, at least with houston they're going to lose correa they're probably going to lose some smaller pieces around the margins i haven't taken a, a full look at their free agent list but the good thing for them or at least the the positive for them is that even as even if they're going to get weaker and i do think they are going to get weaker because they just they don't they're not really a team that spends big in free agency. They're a team that makes trades and then they sign their young guys to extensions if the guy, if the young guys are willing to sign extensions. But other than that, most of their free agent moves are more along the lines of guys like Michael Brantley, or at least mm. they have been because they've had a young core that they wanted to supplement with veteran guys. I don't know if that changes now that that core is veteran guys and now that that core is going to shrink by one. Yeah. But the positive for them is that the rest of the West is pretty bad. The A's are obviously, given that they let Bob Melvin just walk on over to San Diego, the, the A's are very obviously going to tank or at the very least take a step backwards. Mm-hmm. Or, or more of a step backwards than they already take every single year. Mm-hmm. The, Ranger, the Rangers are still in whatever stage of whatever <laughs> they're currently trying to figure out. I don't think anyone really knows what's going on in Texas right now other than just we're assembling pieces and trying to figure out what it looks like. I don't I, – I, I am done – thinking about the angels as a viable anything mm-hmm. um just for the time being i need to see them actually do smart things before i'm willing to say that there that there is enough there to get it done um but that would be cool so, like we're all rooting for the angels to figure it out in the west now like i yeah, would love course, for them to all, figure it out sure we all want mike trout and shohei otani in the playoffs that would yeah that would be great cool um if anything i think the team beyond if assuming the angels don't go wild this this all you don't have to go wild I'm, I'm sure when we get to the angels and whatever off-season chat we do. I mean, we can talk about a plan, but I don't, I don't think the Angels are a team that needs to be spending enormous amounts of money to make you know, to make something of themselves this off-season. I think the other team you look at in the West that probably at this moment mm-hmm. is Houston's best competition is Seattle? Yeah, probably. And no offense to the Mariners, but yeah, I'll... I'll don't get fired, Angels. John. Meg Rowley, I big will... fan of the pod. Like the Angels, I will believe it when I see it with the Mariners. Mm-hmm. So I think even with losing Correa and whatever else happens over the course of the offseason, I think the Astros still probably go into next season as the favorites in the West. 
Mm-hmm. Are they legitimate World Series contenders if they bring back the same roster minus Carlos Correa for all intents and purposes? Probably, sure. We just watched a team that lost one of the five best players on earth halfway through the season win a World Series. Anything's possible. And they're definitely still going to be toward the top of the American League in terms of contender status. I mean, that's a pretty stable group right now. The Rays, the Yankees, the White Sox, I suppose the Red Sox. I mean, mm. it's weird to say that about a team that <laughs> that finished basically second in the league, but the Red Sox, the Blue Jays will presumably be up there. And then it's an open question as to if there's any second central team, be it Cleveland or Detroit or you know Minnesota wants to try to pull a, a fast, skinny rebuild that can you know push into that group. But right now it's, it's four AL East teams and the White Sox alongside Houston. And again, the, the benefit for Houston is they don't really have serious competition in their division if Oakland is going to take that financial step backward, which seems very, very likely. So I think ultimately they'll be okay. Uh, I do think, though, this is probably an important winter for them to figure out kind of what's next because, like I said, that core of the 2017 team is now down to, for all intents and purposes, Altuve and Bregman. And I, I, you can add Yuli Gurriel if you want there, but he's, he's, he's always felt more like the complementary piece of that core than an actual part of that core. You know, it really is Altuve and Bregman. So, yeah, yeah and, and certainly those two guys are only getting older, and it's now up to, you know, and, and this, especially, too, we're talking about a Houston farm system that's still good, but it certainly, not ha- certainly does not have the same advantages as before where they had, you know, a number one pick they could turn into Carlos Correa, or a number two pick they turned into Alex Bregman or you know, whatever else draft-wise they have done. So it, it's certainly going to be a task for Houston, and I definitely think this was definitely the last gasp of this particular roster. I don't. I think it's too early to say that it's the last gasp for what's left of that core of the, the what is now the Altuve Bregman Astros. Mm. But I, I mean, I think again, very very early, but they will probably be my AL West pick next year. I doubt that they will be my World Series pick unless they do something really big this offseason. Because I mean, it's still a very talented roster, but. They're losing a big player in Correa, and you don't really get the sense that they're just going to go out there and replace him with Trevor Story or Corey Seager or something. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, John, did you see that uh, Buster Posey called it a career today? He did. It's quite surprising. I mean, it's very surprising, just, I thought. It just, it's, I think what's surprising mostly is just the timing. You know, literally the day after the World Series, um, official MLB business has really just started, and already we're hearing that. You know, a guy who is almost certainly going to be a Hall of Famer is calling it a career. That doesn't really, that doesn't usually happen, I feel like, the day right after the World Series ends. And I thought he had a chance to stay a little bit longer because the DH being universal coming, um, that would benefit somebody like Posey as he moves on the pitcher. And you have Joey Bart right behind him and stuff like that. Like, there, I thought there was a natural transition. Like, he was actually going to keep playing for a while because he's still just such a good hitter. Yeah, and I think that would have made sense. It may be what the Giants were hoping for was another year or two out of Posey, like you said, transitioning into more of a regular DH role or kind of, you know, the the timeshare between Bart and Posey, you know, shifting over in favor of Bart, where Posey becomes basically a backup catcher and, and maybe a personal catcher for some of the older guys on the staff. But, yeah, I it's especially surprising because he hit so well this year and he looked so much better. He looked like the, the Buster Posey of Young. But... I mean, something I pointed out online is that the history of catchers past the age of 35, and Posey turns 35 next March, is really, really bleak. Mm-hmm. It's basically the lone productive catcher from that from in who is you know played past 35 is Carlton Fisk, and Carlton Fisk was a genetic mutant. Like he 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 was playing until 42 years old. He, there's comparing anyone to him is is just pointless. Most catchers do not do well past age 35, including pretty much every catcher in the Hall of Fame, with the exception of Fisk. 
it's I, I don't know how much of an influence I was for Posey. I imagine probably bigger for him was he has a pretty big family now. His, you know, his wife just had twins the other year. I believe he now has at least three, possibly four, maybe as many as five kids. Somewhere in that three to five range, I'm mm-hmm. almost sure of. Obviously, he opted out last year, and clearly, you know, I, I think there is probably a lot going on for him that, hey, it's been 12 years. I've won three titles. You know, I'm an, I've won an MVP. I'm 35 years old. I have a whole big-ass family at home. Joey Barr won't stop texting me asking when I'm retiring. Yeah, it's like the Giants have a succession plan in place, even if now they're probably going to have to speed it up a little bit and maybe do it a little earlier than they would have liked. So it's not like he's leaving them in a total lurch. But and I have to imagine, too, for him, there's probably just a sense of, hey, I kind of just want to call it here and just go out on top, go spend time with my family and not have to worry about, you know, trying to manage my over 35 body through the next however many years of injuries, declining playing time and declining production, you know? I, I mean, the, the interesting question it creates then is, you know, and I, I figure this is, it, it kind of sucks that when a guy re- announces retirement, the immediate conversation shifts to what about his Hall of Fame chances? Mm. And I do think if there's one particular shame in Posey calling it now, it's that at least when it comes to the career totals, he's still kind of short in a lot of places. He's only got 1,500 career hits. Uh, 2,000 is usually the the kind of hard line separating Hall of Famers from non-Hall of Famers. It's really rare for a player with fewer than, or with the, sorry, yeah, with fewer than 2,000 career hits to get into the Hall in the first place. Under 200 home runs, the fewest games of, if he were to be enshrined, he'd have the fewest games of any catcher, fewest games played, sorry, of any catcher in the Hall with the exception of Josh Gibson and probably a handful of the Veterans Committee guys. And you look at his overall career numbers, at least at wins above replacement, uh, Jaws, and his peak war score, he's just a couple points ahead of Jorge Posada, who disappeared off the Hall of Fame ballot with pretty much no no debate and no real outcry. Granted, obviously, Buster Posey is not Jorge Posada. They are two different players, and it's much easier to make a Hall of Fame case for Buster Posey than it is for Jorge Posada. Yeah, the case for Posey is he's the best catcher of the last 20 years. I mean, Joe Maurer would have would have an argument there and I think I would probably go with Maurer over Posey would but, you really and I mean, eh, just off the top of my head okay. regardless I don't think it's such a I don't think it's such a distinction that you either go wrong with either or that either one is, is a particular mm. like an obvious choice I I think they're both great and certainly I think Posey Posey do, certainly does seem to have the the Derek Jeter copyrighted intangible values that are so important to a team but you can't teach that yeah John. I, I, I will be curious to see what his hall of fame reception looks like in five years time because i do wonder if i'll uh you know similarly for yadi molina the year after if that's going to look more like a sentimental appreciation of a player as opposed to what we've seen i think with other players which is a much kind of tighter and harder you know where do they fit on the spectrum of great players part of that is just that the 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 line for catchers to get into the hall of fame is very high it's a very high standard there are not that many catchers in trying only about a dozen or so it's a tough position to, to be a Hall of Famer in. And it's certainly not Posey's fault that he got hurt, and it's certainly not Posey's fault that being a catcher is really, really hard. But I think this just ultimately just what it amounts to. Is it's a really hard job. Being a catcher sucks. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of work, both on the field and off. And it's something that has already cost Posey a lot of, or has just caused Posey a lot of health concerns in the past. And I think most importantly, He's getting out before a foul ball ricochets off his skull and concusses him. And I think more than anything, that that's the most important thing is that he gets to walk away from this game healthy and in good mental and in a good and in particularly good mental health. It looks like. 
So it's very, it's certainly weird. It's certainly surprising. It's, you know, obviously we can, we can talk more, you know, throughout the off season as to kind of what it means for the giants beyond just, do they hand it to Joey Bart and kind of where they go from there. But I think ultimately when you look at where Posey is in his career and the context of his career, I think it does make sense for him to say, you know what, I'm going out on top. Cause also truthfully, I mean, I don't think that giants team is winning 106 games again. So I think that was probably his last real shot with this team, with this core, with this franchise at winning a world series. And I think it also avoids to the potentially, you know, ugly possibility of a Brady Patriots like, you know, schism where granted it doesn't seem like that was something that happened angrily or that certainly neither Bill Belichick nor the Patriots trashed Tom Brady out on the way out the door. But I, I do wonder for Posey that if there is even any, if part of what happened was also, I don't want to play for any other team, but the giants, my contract is coming to an end. Was he going to be a free agent this off season? I actually can't remember. I'm not sure. Either way he was, if he wasn't going to be a free agent this winter, he was going to be one. In you got to come to Atlanta. Future. Now you have me fantasizing about Atlanta signing him. I mean, was that really going to happen? I mean, he's from South Georgia. I mean, so, like half of MLB is from. <laughs> <laughs> like if that were the case, everyone would be a brave. I wish Major League Baseball was like uh, college football recruiting, where it's just kids want to stay close to home, so SEC programs get access to the best five and four stars just because kids want to stay close, and that's where the best players are. That's how it should be I in was, baseball. I was going to say, if we abolish the draft, that's exactly what you, you're just going to see the Braves just sign every five-star <laughs> baseball, like high schooler. But regardless, I, I, I do uh, This sounds amazing. I think we're going to do this. I'm going to map out how we can get this done. I'm, I'm going to work okay, on it well, this offseason. You're, off you're going to create your Braves super prospect team of like <laughs> 35 uh, at the time, Clint Frazier's and mm-hmm. uh, Austin Austin's Meadows. There you go. But, Are we sure John Coppolella didn't create something similar? Oh, boy. Does he get it right? I'm... I'm... <laughs> <laughs> copy get a ring um, <laughs> yeah, john hart I too i do wonder too if that played some part for posey is just i get to walk john hart i don't know just, what he'd have to do with it but sure that's true i get to walk away not just on top but also on my own terms mm-hmm. you know it's not i get i don't resign with the giants and nobody wants me and so i just kind of shuffle off the stage this is nope this is when i this is the point that makes the most sense for me and you know, good for Buster Posey, man. He's going to go spend time with his family and probably get into the Hall of Fame and have a cool career and can come back to the Giants literally anytime he wants and do whatever he wants for that franchise. And literally anytime he steps onto a field or onto the field at whatever the Giants ballpark is now called, he'll get a... Is it not Pac Bell? AT&T? What is it? It's some phone company? Some mm. telecommunications company? <laughs> um... Regardless, mm. whenever he goes out there, he'll get, he'll, get a, he'll get the kind of standing ovation that, like, like Soviet politicians used to get. They would just go on and on for like 15 <laughs> minutes at a time because no one wanted to stop clapping. So, yeah. it's. I think he disappears. Again, I don't think we see Buster Posey again. Yeah, who knows? I mean, he certainly, I think he certainly earned the right to disappear to be with his family for sure. Mm-hmm. But man, what a, what a great career. What a, what a great time, I think, to call it, you know, to go out like that. And what a great career just generally. Three World Series rings, an MVP, Rookie of the Year, seven All-Star appearances, however many Gold Gloves and Silver Slugger awards, you know? however many no hitters he caught however many perfect games he caught you know the fact that he will you know as, as we were just saying either it, it's your choice of, of him or mauer but there's no debating that you're right he is if not the greatest at least one of the two greatest catchers of his generation you know not to mention yeah. all the stuff beyond that the, the golden spikes award with florida state 
um, being a number one or not even number one pick, number three, but you know, top five pick, everything. He had the kind of career guys dream about in every single in every single aspect, aside from that whole nasty thing where he got his leg absolutely turned into Swiss cheese. But the mangling aside, he had the kind of career guys dream about, and it's been really cool to watch it play out. And I, I can't even imagine what this is like for Giants fans to watch, you know, the guy that they've known forever, literally just forever. He has been a Giant forever. Just walk away like that, and just the knowledge too. Like first Baumgartner, now Posey. They're all going to be gone someday, and I, you know, Brandon Belt is a free agent. Brandon Crawford, I think, only has a year or two left on his deal. Um, certainly, all the pitching from that from those years are gone. But I, I, I don't know. I kind of figured Posey would be the last guy standing. It's a little surprising that he's not. But hey, what a career! What a way to go out. And it's cool. Not a lot of people would do that. We it all sounds good in theory to be the person that uh, goes out on top, but I think in practicality, I'm getting pried away from my my laptop at like it's 78 hard. years old. Like yeah, they're just like, like Chase, you got you've been like calling. I, I don't even know like the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm like I think the Bengals have a shot here, and they're like the Bengals relocated away from Cincinnati 25 years ago. Chase, what are you talking about? No more podcasting. That's gonna be me. You're. I like how you assume podcasting is still going to be a thing we do in 25 years. Hey, I'm hey, well. Okay, John. Well, when what am I doing? Are you canceling out my I job? I'm not. I'm not saying that like audio will not exist. Just that we'll probably have some different form of podcast. I don't know. Radio had a long should run, I, right? Podcasting should have a long run. Eh, tech, technology technology improves and grows exponentially. It's pretty much a J curve. Who knows what will come next? What is happening? What are you doing to me, know. John? Are you rude? Like, what is happening? Are you just saying, Chase, go ahead and start uh, looking for something else because this is this is all ending pretty soon. Look, all, all I'm saying is you're mm-hmm. right. It is very hard to get these guys to quit at the quote-unquote appropriate <laughs> time. They are yeah. hyper-competitive, like, hyper-competitive dudes who believe in their... In their yeah, no one believes in brilliance. father time until it happens to them. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Like, it's it's rare to get a guy like Posey or in, in a kind of similar vein, a la Mike Schmidt, who can say, you know what, I, that's it for me. And like, great, like I, Schmidt was the first that came to mind because he retired mid, like during the season. Obviously, different. He was playing terribly, and it just concluded he couldn't keep up the grind anymore. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was how Posey felt too. Even after, even though he did come off the season, uh, or though, even though he is coming off a great season, maybe there is a part of him that was like, you know what this grind is too much for me even like you know even with a year off and even as playing as well as he did you know we're not privy to to what's going on inside his head i'm sure he will do a press conference where he will talk about his decision and why he made it but i wouldn't be surprised if it's some variation of it's a grind and at a certain point you just got to say i can't do it anymore you know especially if there is a younger catcher there who you know you can i think and I, I, I do not think Posey would be doing this if he did not feel like he was leaving the Giants in the right place with regards to Joey Bart. Granted, obviously, he does not know what will become of Joey Bart, but it seems that seems like a pretty good bet, or at least a pretty good sign of at least his confidence in Joey Bart that he can say, you know what, you guys are going to be just fine with this kid. You don't need me anymore. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's wrap up with these two stories. Mets GM search, Zach Scott out. Um, as the Mets continue on. The good thing, though, um, if you're a Mets fan in front of the pod, uh, you can hear every Friday in this podcast, Bob Silverman of the Daily Beast pointed out who's uh, an unfortunate Mets fan. Um, All Mets fans are unfortunate. God bless him. God bless him. But um, Zach Scott being gone. And also, do you know who's uh, in Steve Cohen's ear? Uh, Chris Christie. Chris Christie. Just what? Because... Because Steve Cohen, like pretty much every billionaire on the face of the earth, is a fucking moron. 
who listens to other fucking morons because that's all those are the only people billionaires know because they only know other rich people and politicians the great majority <laughs> of whom are fucking morons like what what possible reason is there to listen to chris christie in a baseball executive sir what's it what possible reason is there to listen to chris christie about anything under the fucking sun much less who should run your baseball team like if you're a mets fan like that that alone is the kind of thing that just make you feel there's nothing has changed here yeah i just i it's gonna get worse and someone said i think bob told me it was like someone told me like i forgot what the 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 line of communication was here but basically that like he's the the mlb dan snyder and that's coming and it's like oh god wow oh my goodness i hope for mlb's sake that's not the case in a lot of different directions it's not off to a good start though it is not and the vibe cohen gives off is way less um you know serious strategic thinking businessman and more uh wfan caller who has (laughs) in the lottery and decided he was going to buy a baseball team that that is really the vibe that the last especially the last six months of giving off from the Mets is that Steve Cohen is in way over his head when it comes to running a team. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, it, I think for me, it's less Dan Snyder. It's it honestly gives me more of a Mark Cuban vibe, a dude who thinks he's smarter than everyone because he's filthy rich. And, but just is really not all that educated about one, how a sports team should operate. Uh, this, the occasional success of the Mavericks aside and two just doesn't seem to know how to operate period like he the things he tweets and the things he says just bolt like suggest someone who does not really understand what the point of this all is or doesn't seem to understand how to make this better and i think that's really the big thing is like we learned very quickly that just because there's a new owner doesn't mean really anything about the mets changes some of that is because they still insist on hanging on to guys like sandy alderson who very clearly should not be there anymore and it really shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that no one is interested in being the Mets general manager because invariably they would have to report to Sandy Alderson. They're not really in charge of anything. They're just going to be his. Well, I think it would report to his son. That's even. (laughs) That's if you have David. Who then would report to Sandy. Yeah. If you're David Stearns or if you're uh, who, who are they all, who are they going on about? Um, If you are any one of the dream candidates that Mets Mm -hmm. fans like to bounce around on Twitter, why on earth would you come work for Sandy Alderson's son, for a moron billionaire who doesn't seem to have any clue what he's doing, for a franchise that is just perpetually inept, that has some of the harshest, toughest, and most endless media coverage on the planet, for a roster of players who the half of them just seem to be out-and-out out assholes about every single thing under the sun, and the other half of them just aren't any good, what is the upside to running the New York Mets? The only thing I can tell, the one thing, is that... It it's offers, just the money. It's it, Well, it's the money, and it's also, if you turn this team into a World Series champion, you will be a hero forever here, all of, the, all of what Theo Epstein became in Boston and then again in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I assume how Braves fans are hopefully feeling about Alex Anthopoulos, which, just uh, take a quick sh- swerve to say, how nice to see a GM who actually tried and wanted to win get rewarded by winning. What a nice thing, especially because that's something Anthopoulos has tried to do pretty much his entire career. Really cool to see that. Very glad for, very happy for him in so much as you can be happy for front office guys. Regardless. I don't Rough week for him, though. He has COVID, so he's not a part of the it's, celebrations it's, yeah, at all. It's, it's not a, It's not ideal. But, Bad luck there. And even on top of that, okay, now you're in charge of the Mets. You're in the same division with the team that just won the World Series, mm-hmm. a Phillies team with Bryce Harper and that is kind of incompetent, but not not terribly so. 
a Marlins team with a lot of good young talent and the Nationals. But, mm. I mean, there's always going to be one down team in every division. But it's like, this is not a cupcake division by any stretch. Right. It's the Marlins a, are coming. It's an inept division in a lot of different ways, but it's not an easy one. Mm-hmm. There are, like, it's a, it is four 86-win teams just punching each other in the face for six months straight. And then one of them wins 70 games. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, who are, the, who, what are the Mets even going to do at this point? I don't know. I think it's going to be an incredibly underwhelming person, whoever they pick. I'm going to guess it's one of the Oakland front office people. I don't know who it will be, but I'm going to guess it's one of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's going to be one of those things. Do you, I, like you being a gigantic college football fan, John? You're familiar with this, but um, as you remember, when you were sitting on the edge of your seat when Colorado was trying to keep Mel Tucker last uh, winter, when uh, Michigan God, State just kept Mel calling. Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> the head coach of the number three team in the college football playoff rankings right now mel tucker the michigan state spartans but anyway oh i was like colorado's ranked number three in the country what the hell happened no i mean michigan like, state number three it's still like just as weird states? <laughs> like i'm not a college football guy but even i know that colorado's a joke yeah i mean you 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 know you know john and they're actually really really bad right now um that, that uh, man like one of my coworkers at si was uh, was i think went to colorado and was a big colorado fan so i i, I got the i got the occasional uh, mm-hmm. news on how colorado was doing and nine times out of ten it was boy this team sucks <laughs> yes that is a general uh general feeling and a general uh reality for colorado fans but the reason i brought the analogy up was just that like they kept offering Mel Tucker more money because he was like, no, nah, I'm good at Colorado. And they're, cause he's only been there for one year. And Michigan State's like, what about this? And he's like, no, nah, I'm still doing okay. And he's like, they're like, what about this? And it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this if you're going to offer me X. Like, that is what's ultimately going to happen here with the Mets is they're going to offer someone in the A's organization, the Rays, something like that, enough money, like just a preposterous number to come work for this albatross of a situation that um they'll they will get somebody like that it's just going to be they keep backing up the brinks truck until it's just unavoidable you you just Which, it's, uh, it would be uh like your your family is just like what are you doing what what, what are you doing you got to take no, this and offer I, and i think you're right but i think what's more important like regardless who they end up with it's not going to be the, the person or name that mets fans recognize or care about barring something mm-hmm. really weird and it's not going to be the kind of splash hire that Cohen made it sound like it was going to be. This dude has a bad habit already of promising the moon and then giving you like a bunch of crumbs. And that is definitely the vibe that this that this hire is going to take because I think you're right. It is either going to be someone from a and I guess to keep the Michigan State Colorado analogy, it's going to be someone younger from a from a small bad or a low payroll front office, or and this is the worst case scenario I think for the Mets. It's going to be some warmed-over type, a la what the Pirates did when they hired Ben Sherrington, who is not particular. Like, and I'm not saying this specifically about Ben Sherrington, but the vibe I get is that it's going to be. The worst case scenario would be them ending up with some older former front office type who doesn't have any new ideas, who doesn't have his finger on the current pulse of not just the sport, but also what makes for good players now in terms of data and analytics and, and player evaluation and player development and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera where teams like Los Angeles and Tampa and you know a bunch of others are miles ahead of where the Mets stand. 
Mm. That would be truly disastrous if they just handed it off to some Ben Charrington type whose ideas are all from five years ago and who thinks that the solution here is just kind of, I don't know. Per usual, I don't know what the Mets are doing. I don't ever get what they're doing. They are, to a certain degree, hopeless in this regard. They're being the Mets. And I I, I think, too... That it's just it is just indicative and emblematic of how little thought seemingly went into this. How there didn't seem to be any plan, and not just any plan, but no real, no real guide as to what it was the Mets were looking for. Because all the names you saw were just all over the map. There was no common anything linking them, other than the fact that they might be available and might be interested in doing the Mets job. And then they all said no. Like you, you don't get the sense that the Mets are targeting any one kind of person or strategy or philosophy or whatever in general. They just seem to be reaching out to everybody and saying, "Would you like to run the Mets? It's you can run the Mets. You can do whatever you want as long as Sandy Alderson and his son say it's okay, and also as long as me, the billionaire, says it's okay. But you can run the Mets. Are we going to give you money to do stuff? No. Like that. That's kind of the other thing. It's like when you just saw what the Mets season was, where they just they you know they sat around at the deadline and did nothing and basically kicked themselves in the nuts what what belief do you have that things are going to get better there steve cohen has not shown anything to indicate that he that he's the right kind of owner for for a smart uh, accomplished front office type to work for like if you're if you're like fifth on the on the death chart so to speak in tampa's front office decision making tree or it's a terrible mixed metaphor but whatever why wouldn't you just stay with Tampa and wait for something to open up with a team that's not the Mets? I, I get it. It's the Mets. It's a huge market. It's a big team. It's it's the Mets. But what about it is appealing right now, aside from the money, which you probably aren't going to be allowed to spend? Hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, Go Mets. We'll see. But, I mean, at this point, I don't really see any reason to be optimistic or positive about this GM search. And I don't really see any reason to be optimistic or positive about... I mean, think about it this way. Qualifying offer decisions have to be made in, like, three days. Speaking of, do you know who uh, did not get their options picked up? Breaking news uh, on the podcast. What is this breaking news? Adubel Herrera, who, uh, thumbs down on him. um, But also, Andrew McCutcheon. Kind of a surprise there. Which, I would love McCutcheon a one-year deal in Atlanta next year. I'll be curious to see what happens to him, because his knee... Uh, really screwed him up down the stretch for Philadelphia. He was not healthy at all the last, seems like, two I'm months. I'm taking a flyer on McCutcheon. I, I'm, yeah, I I'm mean, doing if it. He, if he's healthy, if he's healthy, he's a great addition as a corner outfielder who can still get on base, you know, and is, by all accounts, a really, really good clubhouse guy. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense for a veteran team that needs, you know, some, uh, or for a contending team that needs some, you know, affordable veteran help. I, I have to imagine, too, his, his salary is not going to be the highest, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you're Philly, like, you kind of know what's there. He might still be there later if you still want him. You know, I, I think I don't know what his option was, but I have to imagine that you know, especially given the way he finished the season, they probably just feel it's safer to be like, you know what, we're gonna think about it and we'll come back to you. But if you want to go, and I think it's also just them saying, look, if you if you find something better, by all means, go for it. You know, maybe he can get a two or three year deal. I, I doubt it, but maybe he can, or maybe he can get better than whatever that option was. Again, not knowing what it was, but. Um, that, does, that doesn't surprise me that much. Herrera is, is really obvious. Like, get get the hell out of here. Like, even even beyond the, the the bad things he did, the very bad things he did, he is very clearly just a guy in terms of his his ability on a baseball field, and it's it's just not worth the effort or the or the headache. I think. I agree with you. I agree. Uh, last thing, thirty seconds. Bob Melvin to the Padres. Do you like it? 
I like it. It makes sense. I think that team really needed a veteran manager who has just been around the block a half dozen times and knows what's up. Melvin is a great manager tactically. He's a great manager in terms of working with a clubhouse. He is a great manager in just making chicken salad out of chicken shit, which has been you know the entirety of his time in Oakland. Uh, it's very exciting that he's now going to get to be with a team that actually is trying, or at least is actually spending. And I think, I mean, if, if I were, you know, if, if I had been put in charge of that search for the Padres, he's exactly the kind of manager I would have targeted. You know, experienced, uh, tactically, tactically, or good tactical acumen, you know, uh, works well with ownership, works well with the front office, very clearly a guy who he and, and Billy Dean and David Forrest, all of them very clearly work together very well. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense for San Diego. I, I, my dream, I think, there had been that the Astros would have let Dusty walk and the pod, and he would have become the Padres manager. Mm. And then we would have gotten a Padres World Series and a Dusty Baker World Series at the same time. But, unfortunately, that's not the case. But, no, Melvin, Melvin is a very good hire. I, I don't think it's, it's the, the missing ingredient for San Diego. That team still needs to do some work um, in terms of you know, being, a, being an actual contender next year. But I think it's a really good start for them, and I think it's a really good hire. There you go. There you go. John Taylor, we can follow you on Twitter.com at Taylor. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com. If you've not already done so, again, Fangraphs.com to get you ready for this offseason in Major League Baseball. John, I will talk to you soon. Thanks, dude. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.